Saludos and salutations, Broncos country, and welcome to another exciting episode of Broncos Talk. I'm your host, Adam Diaz, and joining me as always to my right is my co-host, at Richie Richie. Richie, how you doing tonight, my friend? Uh, well, uh, it's it's kind of a you know roller coaster, if you will. I, I think it's uh, I always enjoy talking about the Broncos. I always uh, enjoy our time together here. Uh, but uh, you know the the downs of said roller coaster are obviously the results of our last game against the Las Vegas Raiders. So uh, you know the the ebbs and the flows, the ups and the downs. So uh, that's that's kind of where I'm at right now. Hey, you know what? Before we get things started, guys, I just want to say I have a complaint with our neighbors to the north here, Rich. It was nice and no snow on the ground when I woke up this morning. And around noon o'clock my time, there's like an inch of snow. And now it's like rain. So, you know, it was great having almost a full December of no snow. <laughs> I was able to drive my Mustang with no problem. But I don't know. It, it, it just I kind of felt like we got dumped the leftover snow that usually heads up, you know, Wisconsin and up in Canada so uh, I almost felt like it was a record so to speak <laughs> well you know what the problem is is that directly north of you uh, in the Chicago area there's the prairies and um, they've just hit uh, minus 55 Celsius mm-hmm. um, I can do the conversion on that shortly but it, it, let's just say it's really really cold um so to put things in perspective i I was just um one of the guys from uh my uh my huddle uh had a tweet where he said it is really cold please save me and he posted something saying it was like 12 degrees fahrenheit and that translates to minus 17 so minus 17 is like 10 or 12 or somewhere in that range so you can do the mental math on just how bloody cold that is in fahrenheit uh, and that's where they're at in the uh, in the prairies and in that kind of central part of Canada. Uh, it's it, yeah. Th- welcome to the winter. <laughs> welcome to the winter, <laughs> indeed, guys. And we yeah. hope you guys are staying somewhere nice and warm where you get to watch today's show. But anyway, guys, I digress. If you guys get like and enjoy the content that Rich and I here provide to you guys every single Tuesday here on Broncos Talk, please make sure to hit that subscribe button and that thumbs up to get live notifications on every single time we go live and stream. Of course, as you guys know, Broncos Talk goes live every single Tuesday at 7654, as well as our other shows here on the MHRT Network, the MHRT Podcast, the flagship show, which airs every single Thursday at the same time, 7654. On Fridays, we have the Nothing Rhymes With Podcast that also airs on Fridays at 7654. And of course, we have the pregame show, The Neighborhood, which airs just before every single Broncos game. And Rich, we're down to our very last two games of the season. And fingers crossed, we do hope to get a playoff spot because that means more pregame show episodes for you guys out there. So I know a lot of you are saying, you know, playoffs are up and done. And that's something that we're going to get into a little more detail later on in today's show. But, you know, as a guy whose orange and blue colored glasses are almost stuck to my head, I'm always the more optimistic type of fella. So, guys, make sure you guys uh, hit us up. Uh, You have our Twitter handles right on the bottom of our left-hand screens. Also, if you're watching us live here, if you want to ask us questions, please feel due to do so. We'd love to answer every question that we can. But just please remember that we will try to answer every comment and question to the best of our ability with time allotted. So if you do feel that your question or comment is we didn't get to it, we do apologize. But like I said, please feel free to hit us up on our Twitter handles and we'd be more than happy to answer them for you guys on the Broncos Twitterverse. So with that being said, so the other thing to add to that is, is if you, if we missed answering uh, your question during the stream, or if you thought of something after that, you'd like us to maybe respond to after the fact, 
Um, you can always, always use the YouTube comments after the video gets uh, posted. Normally about a, a few minutes or so after the after the pod airs, it, it converts from the live stream into the kind of the posted, uh, you know, ready to watch later or video on demand style uh, that YouTube is famous for, infamous mm-hmm. for really at this point. <laughs> so um, so feel free to just leave us a, a comment there. And, uh, you know, I, I, I tend to go through them, you know, at least uh, once a week, twice a week, just kind of see if there's anything you guys are, are wanting to reach out for. So again, feel free to do that. Happy to interact with you guys. Uh, any means that uh, you prefer. Uh, yeah, and and this is, you know, coming from from the prophet that is um, uh, perhaps a, an elevated uh, comment in terms of uh, <laughs> the issues there. Um, you know, it's it, you never like to see when the prophet is dejected. Um, you know, I, I guess at this point here, one also needs to start questioning the oracle a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, there is a few things that the oracle had said that I. I I think that the Oracle may need to have some recalibration done. Um, but uh, by, by and large, I think that if the Oracle was looking at the general talent on the Broncos team, where we should likely be given some of the players that we have, obviously, you know, certain groups aside on, on the team. Uh, yeah, I, I could see where the Oracle may have been going with some of it. But, you know, this is a team sport, the ultimate team sport you know, dare I say, and uh, you, you need all all players on, on that roster to play up to up to par and be up to par. And uh, obviously we were not in that last game. Yeah, you know, I do know that uh, our boss picked out the title for today's episode, Rich, but this probably would have been my second choice. I hate losing, but I especially hate losing to the Raiders, as our good friend EJ here says. EJ, a loyal fan of the show. Thank you so much for being a part of today's uh, uh, episode. And I totally agree with you, EJ. I mean, if it's one thing to lose, it's just the freaking Raiders. And not just losing once, guys. We lost twice. We got swept. And if you see how the defense went out there and just played their hearts out, and I mean, there's only so much you can do, you can ask of these guys. They played a hell of a game, our defensive side is. And as much as we would want to shut out the Raiders at home, and as much as we would want to have the, the Broncos defense not give up yardage or conversions or, you know, that that very last play was just, it was more than a nail in a coffin. It felt more like a kick in the, in the butt uh, to Broncos country where it was just, I mean... If you don't get see, that's the prime. That's the thing that's really plagued this team, Rich, since Super Bowl uh, Fifty. It's just the fact that no matter how good the defense goes out to play, the offense just can't seem to find that rhythm, that match. We have yet to be able to find a coaching staff where they can balance, you know, like a scale. We need balance, Rich. If the defense is great, we need to find a way to elevate the offense so it's just so it's just as good. It doesn't have to be necessarily better. It shouldn't be a contest between the both of them, Rich. But unfortunately, and we've seen, we've seen flashes. I mean, we you saw what we did against the Chargers first time around, what we did against the Cowboys, and but unfortunately, the only thing that's missing from those games, Rich, is consistency. We haven't found a way to consistently put points offensively every single week. We just keep getting these roller coasters. And is Bridgewater the guy? He Yes, he is one week. One week he isn't. Is Julak the guy? One week he could be. The second week he isn't. So, and it just creates, not only does it create more problems, Rich, it just creates more, uh, I don't want to say aggression, but uh, I mean, you could probably say stress, but you could kind of see just the frustration 
uh, between just the entire coaching staff as it is. That little altercation, uh, altercation with Vic Fangio and Brandon McManus, that was something that probably once you saw it being caught on camera, you were like, eh, "That's that's not a good look for a team, you know, trying to make the playoffs." Because everything going into the playoffs, Rich, no matter how good they are, one thing needs to be for sure: they need to play as a unit. They need to be playing as one. You cannot be frustrated, especially with your head coach, the one person who's in charge of calling the plays and making the decisions and all that. You cannot have that type of frustration. You cannot have that type of animosity with, within each other and expect to go out and make and try to make a championship run, Rich. It's not just going to work. So if the Broncos are definitely for sure out of the playoffs runs officially this coming week, then that's an area of discussion that needs to be discussed. And if Vic Fangio cannot be the guy that to rally this locker room together, Rich, then there's a really, really big problem in Broncos country. I actually think it's far deeper than what you're getting at with the coaches, but I'm going to, I'm going to put coaching aside for right now. And, mm-hmm. and I'm going to try and delve into some of the finer points. You said you bounced to special teams to offense. So I'm going to try and bring it back to the original and, and go uh, all the way back to the uh, offensive side of the ball. Uh, first off, uh, EJ, that's how I got through the game. Um, I went through a six pack anyways um, with regards to with, with regards to uh, to the offensive side of the ball that's why in the last few games here um, I was I, I was kind of saying that offensive scheme offensive style offensive scheme offensive style and, and fitting the players that you have on the team into a proper offensive scheme and offensive style it makes all the difference in the world so for example, Pat Shermer in this in this game in the first half had a two to one ratio of running three wide receiver sets versus two tight end sets. And of the two tight end sets, only one of them, actually two of them, sorry, uh, had the tight ends on the outside of the offensive tackles. Both of those plays where the tight ends were on the outside of the offensive tackles yielded some of our largest or, or biggest or i'm gonna take tiki barber's uh, term here that was a big gainer our, so our biggest gainers of that particular game came off of those flanking tight ends on the outside so it, it's i i don't want to solely and completely point all the fingers at our players themselves although i think there's a lot of i mean there's a lot of blame to go around there really is um but you need to put the players in the right position. And if you're not putting your players in the right position, the players are only as good as the plays that are being called. And so if the plays that are being called or the scheme that is being run is not, does not fit the players that you have on your team properly, you are not going to win football games. For example, if you have a really, really light offensive lineman, unless the guy is some kind of freak in the weight room, it is probably not a good idea to start running power schemes with someone like that. They just don't have the power, you know? And, but, and on the flip side, if you have a guy like Quinn Miners and you've seen the last two or three games with him pulling and knocking guys out the way and winning like angry runs, for example, on the NFL network, as a result of that kind of chemistry, not once did Shermer pull Miners and have him pull from right to left. There's all sorts of schematic things that just went all sorts of wrong in that Raiders game. And uh, you saw you saw Reisner attempting to pull from left to right. And you saw that he wasn't even fat. He wasn't fast enough or strong enough to push Crosby out of the way from getting right into the backfield and and basically 
you know, I've heard the word sack being used on the on the running back. I don't much care for that term because I think it conflates a quarterback sack and an actual tackle for loss. But it was a tackle for loss. We had a bunch of them as a result of the, the sif that was <laughs> that was our offensive line that game. Yeah, and I I, I I wholeheartedly agree with that, Rich. And, you know, before I, ha- I bring up this comment here that uh, or question here that EJ has for us, he does make a very good comment, which he says, uh, Fangio does not speak to anyone on the sidelines except barking back at McManus. And that's exactly my point here, guys. And and you guys all seen it. Whenever the Broncos win and you see Vic Fangio kind of giving away the, the, the game balls, that's the type of rallying that needs to be happening, not just when the Broncos win, but when the Broncos lose. Because, you know, especially with Von Miller gone, Von Miller was probably the one guy who, through everything that the Broncos have been through the last couple of years, he was usually the guy that, you know, was there to pick people up, you know, at, at least spirits anyways. I would like to think so, you know, him being the veteran and all. But now that he's gone and, you know, obviously there's been a lot of questioning and, and comments and just trying to figure out, well, you know, who's the new, uh, you know, leader of the team. And a lot of people would say Justin Simmons, which I wholeheartedly agree. So if that's the case, then I expect Justin Simmons to kind of, you know, not just say in front of the media and tell people what they want to hear, which is uh, if you've been a longtime Broncos fan, you already you're going to know what what sounds like, you know, you're reading it off the paper and what actually sounds when you mean it from your heart, you know, type of thing. So it, it, this team just kind of needs to get together and realize that when their backs are against the wall, when things aren't going their way. That it's just not to kind of, you know, throw in the towel and, you know, turn into the the Jacksonville Jaguars or, or one of the one of the really bad NFL teams and then just go out there, lose games on purpose just to try to play for a higher uh, draft position next year. That shouldn't be the case. Every single one of these guys should be going out there and playing because that's what they're being paid to do. They're being paid to play until the very last whistle of the, of the regular season. And if they make it to the playoffs or further, same thing. You know, the buck doesn't stop once you've been officially eliminated from playoff contention. At least that shouldn't be the sentiment. Although we have seen cases where it's just kind of like, okay, they, you know, they pull the the guys that are injured or healthy or whatever, you know, and, and that's understandable. But everybody else, it's, uh, it's a different show. But uh, EJ here has a question here for us, uh, Rich, before I turn it over to you. Do you guys think that there is mer- any merit with receivers and tight ends saying Locke throws harder than Teddy? Maybe that's why the drops occurred. Rich, no. Uh, no. I, I wholeheartedly, uh, I, I agree. I don't think the fact that it was great to see, actually see Drew Locke throw past the sticks, which is something that we hardly saw from uh, Teddy Bridgewater these last couple of weeks, Rich. And when we did see it, it was usually like for an incompletion or so. And I mean, if you take away just that one bad drop by Jerry Judy, he did have some really good catches here. There was one where he ran for, what was it, 15, 20 yards almost? along the sideline it it was a great catch so drew's arm was never a question going into going in just becoming a broncos rich it was just basically his accuracy and his ability to read defenses and putting the ball where it needs to be you know that's drew lock's biggest issue and that's something that even though he said he's worked with uh coaches and peyton manning and, and what have you it hasn't his accuracy hasn't improved much to the extent and you know being in a division like this one and going up against Derek Carr and Justin Herbert and Patrick Mahomes three of the of the biggest names and quarterbacks in this league it's it's not very it, it's it's almost not fair to compare him because those guys are looking to make a playoff push and they're looking to be playoff contenders going forward which whereas we 
can't even figure out who's going to start next week, whether it's going to be Bridgewater or Drew Locke. And the fact that it's a question at this point in time is a problem in itself. There was two throws that I saw um, that were dropped after rewatching for the second go around for the game that were thrown behind the receiver. So a less than ideal spot uh, from Drew. Uh, that being said, uh, if you're going to take a double digit um, salary in the millions uh, at the wide receiver position, um, you're going to have to forgive me, but I-, I expect you to make certain throws like that, you know, a handful times a game. Um, that's why you're making that level of salary within the NFL. You're no longer a rookie on a rookie deal. You are no longer a, uh, a low-level player in the NFL. Once you're making that level in those, in their, in those upper tiers, in the 10, 11, 12, 13, you know, 15, 16, 17, plus, 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 and like, I expect you to make better catches. I expect you to live up to what your reputation was uh, when you earned that contract. So as an example, Cortland Sutton and Tim Patrick both were known as kind of zip code style receivers. That's what earned them their contracts because they had several years where they basically caught almost anything that was thrown in their general direction. Then they get those contracts and it's really weird. We're starting to see those types of catches not being made. Uh, you know, especially Tim Patrick, who maybe he's hurt and he's kind of hesitant because I saw him not reach up for one and th- that game where he was along the sideline there. He would have typically ran, a, you know, re- you know, jumped up and grabbed it. And he almost hesitated to do that. So I wonder if he he's nursing an injury and he's trying to, like, kind of protect himself a little bit. But either way, I expect you to make those types of catches as a wide receiver at the NFL level making that kind of money. I just expect it. Uh, similarly, um, I also think that um, I, I'm giving uh, Noah Fant um, a bit of a pass on that one because he did try to reach back behind him to get it, and and that was just not a, a well thrown ball. I mean, he he made efforts, but he couldn't do it. I can I can give him a pass on that. Um, but the no the Alberto one, um, the really good tight ends in the league kind of make that bobbled catch. They do. They they like they just do. Um, but I will also say that the uh, cornerback on that particular play, which is one that people are kind of pointing to, um, certainly had his arm well behind the line of scrimmage and well after the five yards downfield. Uh, and, and realistically speaking, that uh, prevented or, or that would have impacted anyone from catching the ball and, and really should have been called, in my opinion, as a pass interference. So um, I also think that that Johnny makes an excellent point here as well, which is, I mean, I think we all saw the pressure that the defensive line of the Raiders was getting on Drew Locke. And I also think that we as Broncos fans that were incredibly critical of Drew Locke earlier, you know, last year and for some of his plays and the way he was um, earlier in the year when he was thrown in as a backup where he wasn't trying to trust his protection and stay within the pocket. I think by and large, he did really, really well at that uh, in the game against the Raiders, even though his pocket was clearly breaking down at a rate that was just, I mean, no quarterback should have done what Drew was able to do in that game, in my opinion, given the pass breakdown protections that we were seeing. And we need need to give credit where credit's due. He he made some major progress in that game, uh, particularly throwing the ball, uh, throwing a few guys in stride. And if I can go back to EJ's comment there about the, ex, ex, I'll call it an excuse, but you know, a reason if you want to kind of go uh, and be softer about it in tone, 
Um, one of the things that Drew's arm allows him to do um, more so say than Teddy is Drew's arm allows him to throw into tighter windows because he has more velocity on the ball. So one of the things that uh, that Teddy struggled with in, in many scenarios uh, this season for us, and, and one of the reasons why you saw some marked improvement in the passing game, just generally speaking, was the fact that this, the arm strength is faster. He's got more zip on that ball, and he can fit it into tighter windows, not have the ball batted down. Uh, the ball doesn't flutter like it does sometimes with Teddy in the air. Um, and you know, the, some of those long balls that you saw from, from Teddy, uh, this, you know, earlier in the season, uh, you could start doing like a, a four count or five count <laughs> until it got to the receiver. And then drew, you just kind of just saw it zip through this, through the air on the screen. And, and that makes a lot of difference in terms of allowing, uh, the wide receivers, the time to get that extra step on the DB, as opposed to allowing that extra step to take place from the DB onto the receiver and, and make a play on the ball. Yeah, and uh, here we have another question here, Rich, uh, from Bob Gaynor. Bob, thank you so much for joining the show and watching. And he says, y'all think Bridgewater will be back next week? And you know what, Bob? At this point, it could be anybody's guess. I mean, I did read a report earlier that supposedly Bridgewater had still not cleared uh, injury protocol. And his, his return is still questionable at this point. But when you really think about it, though, uh, guys, even even if Bridgewater gets the, the thumbs up to play, do you really want to put a guy who I'm pretty sure even though he didn't play last week, there's no way I would say that he's back to 100% that fast, seeing everything he's endured, especially that injury that he suffered on that game was really scary. Having to see anybody being carted off the field, Rich, is never a good side, whether it's a, a, a Bronco or anybody in the NFL. So... I would just like to think that, I mean, for Bridgewater, I'm sure he'd like to because he would probably like to add more tape to his resume should the Broncos not decide to, you know, pay him $25 million, which at this point, it doesn't really seem fathomable for Denver to do. And, you know, maybe he'd like to put on more tape to his resume so that way he can go to a, a, a quarterback needy team more and more so anyway instead of them having to, you know, take a chance in in the draft. But I, I think that Locke will probably start this week against the Chargers. The Chargers are even are really beat up uh, in, in, in their ranks, Rich. And as we saw just this past Sunday against the, the beating they took against Houston, one of the worst football teams in the league, mind you, they're 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 really banged up and I think for for both of those guys, I think starting Julak would be the better option for Denver. Not just because Julak offers a, a, a higher ceiling in terms of getting a win, but just for the fact that there's really no point in putting out a guy like Bridgewater out there, especially with Denver's playoff chances literally almost slim to none. I mean, we need so much to happen. And even though the NFL is a crazy league, Rich, I just don't think that it's really worth Teddy's health you know I appreciate everything he's done for us over the season the highs and the lows and the so-so in-betweens but you know your health is important at the end of the day and Drew Locke is the healthier guy going forward and you know it could be that maybe Denver is officially eliminated from playoff contention after this week's game even if they do win against the Chargers so uh you know and then that'll that'll really put up a question of you know who's gonna start uh, a meaningless game against the Chiefs 
second and third squad week 18. But, you know, that's a story for a different conversation, Rick. But to answer your question, I think that Lockstar. So I think Lock starts this week. I, I think Teddy's going to be cutting it too close with the uh, concussion uh, protocol. Um, I just don't think Teddy will play this week. That's just my uh, my opinion. Um, now, it gets really interesting when you get into the Chiefs game, depending on what it means to us and 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 that sort of thing. I also tend to agree with the, the general comment of the fact that, uh, you know, Lock played pretty well as far as I'm concerned. In fact, I, th- I think he, he showed marked improvements. And as a coaching staff and as a team, um, y- you should be – you should be pleased the fact that someone has taken the time to show that improvement. He didn't throw a pick. Uh, he had a, uh, you know, some great throws that he made uh, in that game. I really, th- I think he made some great throws in that game. And, um, th- and frankly, if I can be perfectly honest, I think Locke made throws that Teddy Bridgewater is simply not physically capable of throwing. And, and I think that's something else that needs to be noted as well. And, and so, so then the question is, the question I really have to, to kind of, or even just question to everyone here is if we could actually have run the ball against the Raiders, because that's the one thing that they really just destroyed us on in that game is our offensive line was unable or incapable of moving the Raiders defensive line in any direction for that matter. And as a result, our run game was was non-existent. Drew Locke, I think, at the highest running yards or most running yards out of anyone on the team, and I think it was like 10 or 11, if I'm not mistaken, somewhere in that range, that is not good. Mm-hmm. So the question is, if we had a run game, do you not think that that score or that game would have ended differently for the Broncos? Do you not think that we would have been in better position and likely won, given the fact that we held the, the Las Vegas Raiders to, again, under 17 points? I do. And then when you're looking ahead at the Chargers game and what we did to the Chargers the first go-around, they're susceptible to the run. And you saw that in the Houston game as well. And their um, linebackers were really struggling uh, with the running backs and uh, short throws into the flat and stuff like that against Houston as well. So I really think that a quarterback like Drew Locke can really showcase talents. And as long as Drew can stop making uh, or continue to not make those uh, kind of boneheaded decisions where he throws into triple coverage or throws so far behind his receiver that the ball gets bounced up because the, the receiver's trying to make a play on it. Uh, I, I really think that that Drew can really show out against the Chargers and and kind of go head to head and win uh, against uh, Herbert and and really maybe in some respects uh, put to bed the fact that he probably should be starting against Kansas City regardless because. Uh, it works out as a win-win at that stage uh, for the Broncos. If the Broncos are wanting to move on to the quarterback position in the offseason, and rumors are rumors, and you know they normally have some validity to them, um, then Locke playing as well as he is right now, and if he finishes out, uh, you want him to finish out strong so that he has a higher trade value. Mm-hmm. So it works out in our favor to play Locke for the remainder of the season if they wish to trade him in the offseason. Now, if we wish to keep him around and go after a veteran quarterback in hopes that maybe Locke can kind of grow and maybe we sign him to a kind of a cheaper contract to have him grow under a a more seasoned veteran, like some of the ones we've seen thrown around, like your uh, the recent one that's really seemed to gain more traction this week is uh, Aaron Rodgers. And uh, so if he sits behind an Aaron Rodgers and we maybe re-sign Drew in a, in a cheaper kind of backup style contract to learn behind Rodgers, 
well, you know, that's a, but that's an interesting, you know, thought process and maybe discussion to have. Um, and again, you want someone to get that starting experience in case Rogers gets banged up because if we can't fully fix our offensive line, Rogers is, is, is rolling into 38, 39 and 40. And, you know, when you start getting up into those ages as a quarterback in the NFL, uh, injuries can certainly happen more frequently. Yeah. And, uh, Steve Sarkovich here, a good loyal fan of the show, Steve, thank you so much for tuning in. He says, how can Fangio stand behind Shermer still? Do they slash does he not see how poor our offense is? You know what, Steve? That's a really good question. And that's a question that I'm pretty sure everybody watching a Broncos game or just in tune with the Denver Broncos in general is just really asking themselves. And you have to kind of believe that for them to fire Scangarello two years ago and bring in Shermer and expect them to kind of be the the quarterback whisper to drew lock i mean you think it would mean something and this is coming from a guy who i was like i was shocked about that 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 hire but at the same time i was like okay well pat Shermer did want to draft drew lock in 2018 with uh, when he was with the giants but the dave gentleman their gm decided to go with um, uh what's his name danny any whatever i can't think of his name right now uh daniel jones. daniel jones thank you so they decided to go with the daniel jones a quarterback that damn near nobody's heard of unless you're really into college football so you know and drew lock just happened to fall into john elway's lap with him you know moving down and moving some pieces around and getting the quarterback that john elway wanted so i was like okay you know and it, i thought it was going to be one of those well you know what if they're not a really good head coach then you know they're going to make a really good offensive coordinator or defensive coordinator or what have you so uh i i just thought that um like it was a that it would be a great thing for drew lock you know seeing as how he was looking to be the guy the future quarterback of the denver broncos but two years later rich and unfortunately it's done more bad than good and It'll be it's more likely for Pat Shermer to get fired in two weeks after the very last game of week 18 than it is for Drew Locke to possibly leave Denver for good. I don't see Drew Locke as the future starter, but I wouldn't be surprised that if the Broncos do out and get a big name like a Russell Wilson or an Aaron Rodgers, that Drew Locke would settle to, you know, playing behind one of those guys, learning from them and possibly seeing where the Broncos are when said veteran quarterback leaves or retires. Yeah, I, I, well, I, I think that Locke would probably not be as agreeable to doing something like that behind a Russell Wilson, just based on age. Um, maybe more agreeable to looking at a short-term team-friendly style extension to allow himself to play behind, say, an Aaron Rodgers, who may or may not uh, have the will to or want to to play you know like a tom brady is into his like what you know 50s um but i mean i realize tom brady's not that old but you know he's he's uh he's ancient by uh, by nfl standards um so but to answer this question it's just my personal uh, opinion um is that Scangarello and Elway, uh, actually, sorry, uh, Glenn, Glenn has posted what I was about to say. Scangarello and Elway uh, apparently um, did not get on well 
I, I I didn't hear Scangarello and um, Fangio not getting along well. The stuff that I have heard is that um, they that it was it was largely between John Elway and Scangarello in terms of infighting on the offensive side of the ball. Fangio, from what I have heard, again, this is kind of I've, there's some articles and stuff that I've read, and and it's largely kind of uh, me extrapolating from those where uh, Fangio was largely focused almost exclusively on the defensive side of the ball, which most people suspected anyway, and that the offense was left kind of to run itself. And then Elway was kind of dabbling a little bit, as my understanding, on that side of the ball a little bit more, even though he was a GM. And uh, and then Scangarello and Elway, my appearance, my, from what I was told, just didn't get on. And so um, the, the decision was made uh, again, to move on from Scangarello to avoid the, um, you know, that the butting of heads, and uh, we brought in Shermer. That the problem with bringing in Shermer is that Shermer is uh, very much one of those old school coaches that says, "I have a system, you play to it." And in order for you to bring in a guy like that, you need to largely have the players that fit his style and his system, and. You know, offensive line being one of the most critical pieces there. Uh, we don't have a ton of guys that are really well suited for the power style, you know, that Shermer likes to run or that that running style that Shermer likes to run. We were better suited and we had players that were, we'll just say, better aligned with the Rick Scangarello uh, offensive uh, style of play. Right? Yeah. And uh, before we get into our next segment uh, part of the show, Rich, uh, we just got some breaking news here uh, from our good friend uh, Glenn Hauser, who <clears throat> who tells us that we unfortunately did. John Madden, NFL legend, has just passed away. Uh, so very sad news to hear tonight, guys. Uh, for those of you who don't know, but I'm pretty sure everybody here, if you know football, there's no way you don't know who John Madden was. Uh, <clears throat> he's he's very his name ran you know just down the halls of football uh legion ledger and you know he was a coach a championship coach at that for the raiders then when he retired he became a really good color commentator and of course i i can't think of any person that doesn't love the nfl uh madden ea franchise so uh you know rich and i would like to offer our condolences to the madden family and I just want to say that the football world just lost a really big, big name in football. Yeah, there's no replacing someone uh, like John Madden. However, um, uh, a good portion of my culture, certainly the one that I kind of identify with the most, uh, is uh, Irish. And and our our traditions, if you will, are far more aligned with uh, remembering uh, the life of the person and what they did and their accomplishments and all of the good things. And uh, that's that's basically how I choose to uh, remember John Madden for the commentary, the contribution to uh, really expanding the NFL and, and into the, the video game side of things. So you kind of expanded the NFL's reach by going into you know the EA franchises and um, really done a, a world for the NFL both uh, on the field and coaching and, uh, you know, after his retirement, uh, both commentary and, uh, the, you know, the gaming franchise. So condolences, I agree, to, to family uh, and, um, you know, just uh, an NFL great. 
really an NFL great, and and I hope that the uh, I hope there's some there's some I hope that there's something that's done before the majority of the games this coming Sunday uh, to uh, to pay their respects for John Madden. Just you know, you, you don't you don't have people like that in the game very often. Very true, Rich, and you know it doesn't matter that he wasn't a, a fellow Denver Bronco. I mean, he paved the way for a lot of of the greats whether doesn't matter what team they played for i mean right even just he 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 will be sorely missed uh but you know just but to kind of switch gears here rich i think it's uh we got we gotta we gotta move on to uh the uh the the segment involving involving hills (laughs) and what would that segment be rich that would be the mile high mountain Okay, I may have mistimed that by a second, but I'm still getting the hang of it. <laughs> yeah, that's well. I think we have to have a chat if you can't hit a play button. But anyways, <laughs> um, <laughs> um, so I'll, I'll go first as I've done the last uh, couple weeks, and then uh, you can uh, go ahead and uh, go from there. So what, my Maha Mountain, uh, this was actually a really hard one for me to do. Um, there was only a handful of players that I really felt pl- played well enough to, to make it uh, at the uh, top of the Mile High Mountain. Uh, this one here may surprise many. However, at the summit for me this past game was Drew Locke. Um, Drew Locke, I think if we're going to give him and heap on the critique of uh, his throws, the way he's played all those you know previous games in the 2020 season, I think we need to give credit where credit is due. Uh, Drew... Uh, Threw a great ball, uh, great balls for the most part in the game against the Las Vegas Raiders. Uh, he did not throw a single interception in that game versus the Las Vegas Raiders. Uh, Las Vegas Raiders. I can speak eventually. And you also have to remember he did that all with a porous offensive line and zero, for all intents and purposes, running game. So uh, credit where credit is due for Drew Locke. So he is on top atop the summit for me. Uh, based on his play that game in the against the Las Vegas Raiders. On the rise, I have Bradley Chubb. Uh, I thought that he had a heck of a game. I thought he showed out and showed up and, and showed us what a fifth-round draft pick in the first round is, is supposed to look like. Um, he showed uh, patience when he was following Derek Carr's eyes to get that batted down and, and intercepted ball that he returned back for almost a touchdown he should have pushed just a little bit more but hey uh you know beggars can't be choosers and he had one heck of a play um and then i have an honorable mention uh for my on the rise and that is uh, jonas griffith uh, i i really think that he had a heck of a game as well he was just a notch below bradley chubb so he didn't quite uh make the cut at base camp i had brandon mcmanus uh that's the second or third game now in a row where Brandon has missed a clutch kick. He has one job to do, and that is to kick the football. Um, I also do not like the fact that a leader and a captain on the team is coming back to the sideline and chirping at a head coach uh, for in, in public view. Uh, I think as a player and as a leader on the team, um, you should not be doing that. You are setting a poor example for the younger players because that is an inappropriate way, uh, and that is not how uh, you address a head coach. I would not be surprised if Fangio has pulled him aside uh, separately, privately uh, after that. Uh, I'm sure they've worked it out, but nonetheless, uh, you, you just don't do that publicly. It's just not a good look for the team. And on the play right home, uh, we'll, just, we'll just say this is a, uh, 
a larger plane this week. Um, I have the entire offensive line uh, and Pat Shermer. I, I really do not think a single one of our linemen played particularly well at all. Uh, I think that each and every one of them had multiple plays that they would prefer could get erased from everyone's memory. If you've ever seen Men in Black, they have that little thing. I, I think that they would like to use that on, on several people, for or the entire world, rather, for several of their plays each. And uh, Pat Shermer. Again, if you can't scheme to modify and tweak and, and work around the fact that your run game isn't working, uh, that is something that you need to do as an offensive coordinator at the NFL level if you wish to be considered one of the good ones or even decent ones, and he is neither. So those are my mile-high mountain picks for this week, uh, for the Vegas game, or the Raiders game rather, and uh, here's hoping for a much better game against the Chargers. Yeah, those, uh, <clears throat> those are very well picks here rich and uh, you know for mine on top of the summit i actually have bradley chubb i thought chubb played a really fantastic game i mean that one-handed catch bring it down i mean he was literally an inch short away from making that a touchdown so to me that was that was amazing i mean he needed to be where he needed to be he didn't have to struggle he was probably, aside from the angry aviator, probably the only two who were able to kind of beat their designated guys in this game, Rich. Unfortunately, I, I did see Malik Reed kind of struggle in trying to get past his designated uh, defender or offensive lineman. And not only that, but there were a lot of times where he missed either missed tackles or he just kind of didn't go after the ball. You know, Josh Jacobs, unfortunately, should not have had that big of a game as he did. You know, I, I do know that the defense was out, was without Kenny Young this game, unlike the first first round, first time around, and it definitely showed. But at the same time, I, I do believe that it, it, it was a struggle. It was, it was definitely a struggle, and this defense definitely needs a guy like Kenny Kenny Young back into its lineup. Uh, <clears throat> for the uh, on the rise for me. Even though the Broncos didn't do all that much rushing, I think Javante Williams played a, a good game. He did have the only touchdown of the game, so to speak. So the fact that he was able, even though it was at the one yard line, it's still you still have to get past those big guys. And that was probably the only time the offensive line did anything right in terms of trying to get a hole open for Javante to get in. Plus, Javante, even though he's not one of those goals and gets 30 40 yard time he's just fun to watch he's fun to watch run between tackles he's fun to see spin and just to kind of see how far or how, how yeah how far he can go before he finally gets taken down by like two or three guys so uh you know he's always a fun fun guy to see and he's definitely going to be a star here with the denver broncos going forward uh drew lock was probably my honorable mention even though he didn't have a passing touchdown those drop passes were not on him and he went an entire game without an interception which is definitely a big upside for for him so i commend him on that but not being able to beat a team especially when the defense gave you the ball what two three times on turnovers and not being able to convert them into touchdowns and usually having to settle for for field goals is definitely not not good uh at the at the base summit for me i have vic fangio because I kind of feel that Vic Fangio getting swept by a team that, especially the way this game ended and not really doing your homework and trying to get to putting the piece together to see what you didn't do right the first time around and trying to do it better the second time. I mean, obviously defensively, his defense played spectacular. That's not a question here, Rich. But 
the offense, he's still not being able to get it right. He's still letting Pat Shermer get away with all this crap that a lot of us, Dan will know, should have been stopped stopped a long time ago. And it, it, to me, that falls on him. This loss, getting swept, that falls on him. So the fact that he actually went out and said that he feels he deserves another, <laughs> another shot at being head coach next year is pretty brave of him to do. It's pretty ballsy, let me just say. Uh, so he just better hope that George Payton has that same sentiment because Joe Ellis and John Elway, Rich, in two weeks are more than likely out the door in terms of being done with the Broncos organization uh, in full. At least I think so. That's speculation. Don't take it for a fact. But And when George Payton has full control and he picks his own head people, then we're going to start to see those people that were hanging by a thread initially by the likes of Joe Ellis and even John Elway are more than likely either going to be shown the door or traded or what have you. And for the base summit or for the base summit for the flight home, Pat Shermer, and you can probably hook a seat outside for atomic man too. There's no room. I mean, Pat Shermer just, he just doesn't get it. He's still not being able to switch off between two quarterbacks. He's not using them to, to their best of their abilities. We've gotten away from the screen passes again. For some damn reason, we got away from the running game. Uh, you know, seeing how the Raiders were beat, especially them being able to stop the run, it, it just it hurts your head, Rich. And you just you can't seem to get it. And you know, as we keep as we're gonna go forward into this uh, the next segment of the show in just a little bit, it's kind of we're kind of at a point where we're tired of saying hopefully Shermer can figure it out. I think we're we're way past that point here, Rich. Where there's nothing that Pat Shermer can figure out now because he doesn't he doesn't know what he's doing. He doesn't know how to use what he has effectively. And as a lot of people in the chat have said, it's just great wide receivers going to race. It's great defensive talent going to waste. It's just a lot of things as a whole, Rich, going to waste. And nobody in the coaching staff seems to give a damn. So uh, there's a couple things you said in there. Um, it's actually really funny that, uh, first off, I just want to showcase uh, DJ here. Uh, I agree. Uh, I, yeah, I, I, ha- I have had some critical things to say about Shelby after getting his contract as well. And uh, he really showed up. Uh, I, I, I really have to give credit in that game where credit is due. Shelby really showed up. Um, I was impressed. Um, he, he got pressure on a somewhat consistent basis, not, not super consistent, but somewhat consistent basis. He got pressure, which is what you need for a pocket quarterback like Derek Carr. And, um, you made a comment actually in your mile high mountain, Malik Reed, you had, um, in, in kind of the, the bottom kind of tier there at, uh, at, at the, at base camp, um, I, it was just funny when you said that. I had to scroll back up and look at my first half notes. I'm just going to read one of them to you because it's it's actually really funny. Malik Reed was looking like he was making a series of business decisions. He was dropping... No, I'm serious. These are my notes. He was dropping his shoulder and leaning under the guy that he should have actually wrapped up and tackled as opposed to just tackling him. Mm-hmm. And like those, that's literally my note that I have here from midway through the first half uh, in that game. And when you have a guy that jumps out at you like that for, you know, basically making a worse than Teddy Bridgewater, like 
as as an outside linebacker, you, the last part of your title on the team is linebacker. One of the major things in a linebacker is tackling. Like that's that's literally one of the top things in your job description is tackling a person. And and I kept on seeing over and over and over and over and over again Malik Reed kind of do these like drop shoulder things and and not wrap up and tackle. And I'm not gonna lie, a lot of my first comment as soon as I saw the first two times where he was doing it and he just kept on doing it throughout the game. It's almost like he and his agent have said, Denver's not going to make it much further than this. You need to protect yourself so that you can get a big payday. That was the first thing that came to my head is that he's making a business decision to protect his body so that he can get paid big and not go into the offseason hurt. And I, I hate to think ill of players like that. I hate to think that someone's doing something like that. But I'm going to be honest. He's a football player. I've seen him attempt to make tackles before, so I know he can do it. I have no other explanation for a guy that keeps doing the same thing that's not working over and over again when he when he knows to do something else. Yeah. And before Rich takes us into our next segment, guys, we do have a pop-up question that I feel Rich and I could answer real quick. Would Ed Donatel stay considering or consider staying as defensive coordinator if Fangio was fired? And uh, Dave, this is actually something that a lot of us here at MHRT have discussed. And I think we're all in agreement that if Fangio goes, Ed Donatel goes more than likely. He's going to follow him wherever he goes. Uh, you know, Ed Donatel could have stayed in Chicago in 2018 and been the defensive coordinator for the Bears. But Big Fangio talked him into coming into Denver and letting him, well, at least we thought he was going to let Ed Donatel run the defense and let Big Fangio, you know, work and getting the head, not just the defense back in order and shape, but whipping up the offense as well. So I would have to say that if Vic Fangio is fired or Vic Fangio leaves, uh, Ed Donatel is more than likely going to leave. I don't think there's an amount of money that the Denver Broncos themselves can offer Ed Donatel to stay, which is kind of kind of sucks when you think about it because he knows everything that Vic Fangio knows. And this is just and this is not one of those. Oh, he studied under Vic Fangio branch tree kind of guys like you have with Brandon Staley and a, a bunch of other uh, people that have worked under Vic Fangio over the years. No, this is Ed. Da- uh, this is Vic Fangio's little second guy who knows every single defensive run, every rush, every blitz, every cover, all that stuff. He knows it all. That's why he's able to call it. The only difference is, is that he probably sends one call down to Vic Fangio, and if Vic Fangio doesn't agree with it, he has the power to change it. You know. So that would be my only comment. Uh, I'm going to disagree. I'm going to disagree, and here's why. Vic Fangio is always an elite. I mean, have you heard some of the people that are playing against us and, and the praise they have heaped on him in terms of uh, his defensive prowess for Vic Fangio? I mean, it is, is crazy. So I'm going to disagree a little bit. I think that a new, in my opinion, I think that a new uh, head coach, if Vic gets fired, may well directly approach Donatel and ask him to stay on. Now... Donatel will either, or I think what hinges on this is, does Vic get hired immediately as another team's head coach? Because if that answer is yes, and he does get hired by another team to be their head coach, I think Ed Donatel is gone and he's the DC for another team. Not the Denver Broncos. If Vic Fangio, however, does not get a second crack at being a head coach immediately in the offseason, then I think that there is a legitimate possibility 
that uh, Donatel um, may well stay on and, and may well say, I am willing to stay on as a defensive coordinator because there's a significant pay bump to being a DC versus one of the assistants within the, I think Donatel was a, um, uh, a backs coach, uh, a backs and linebackers coach or something like that when, when he mm-hmm. was with Fangio in Chicago. And so, I mean, there's a, I mean, yes, you've grouped two position groups together, which kind of gives them a little bit of an elevated pay scale in terms of within the you know defensive room there, but it's not the same pay scale that you're getting as a, as a DC. Right. And with that being said, guys, Rich, I think we are ready for the second part or the third part yeah the third part of today's show which is remind me again rich oh this is the hot five and we have uh bolt pride worldwide Hmm. bolt pride worldwide i can't i don't i can't say i know who that is but i'm excited hopefully you guys are too ladies and gentlemen without further ado mhrt proudly presents the hot five This is Alvarez of Bull Pride Worldwide coming to the Broncos talk. I'm honored to be on this, uh, be part of this conversation. I'm the leader of Bull Pride Worldwide. In fact, this is our 30th anniversary year. Bull Pride Worldwide started in 1992 here in the 619 in San Diego with four of us. And now it's worldwide. So uh, uh, I'm honored to be here joining Broncos Talk. The, the, the conversation, the, the, the question really was, what are the five things my Chargers need to do to beat your Broncos? Well, I, I have to tell you, we only have a brief amount of time. If if any of you out there watched my Chargers uh, give a gift to the Texans this last weekend, you know we need more than five things. So it, 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 it's really that simple. Um, it, it, it's what, week 16? Uh, th- there's a lot of... we. This coaching staff has had 15 weeks to get this right. But the, the, these five things, it, it really gets down to the fundamentals. It, you you got to come in with a game plan. You need to be able to execute that game plan. You need to control the line of scrimmage on the offensive line and defensive line. You need to play three phases. I want to see my team play three phases. Uh, we're not going to use injuries or COVID as excuses. Next man up, get in there. And, and my team... My team has, I believe my team has the players. Herbie is a lot of fun. I hope you've enjoyed watching Herbie, even when you beat us at, at Mile High. And, and now it's you're coming to SoFi, I will be there. So Broncos stock, if you're there, come see uh, the Bull Pride Worldwide family in uh, Thunder Alley, the pink zone. I'll be there starting at nine o'clock in the morning. So please join us. But you know, we've got the players. I, I believe in this coach. Staley, we're giving them the benefit of the doubt. Uh, the the uh, uh, he, he, he seems grounded, but now you have to have a game plan, and you need to be able to coach the players. You need, need to be able to make those adjustments during the game. Uh, and and I, I believe we have what it takes. Now the the record says you are what your what your record says you are. Right now we're eight and seven, just one game over five hundred. So that's who we are. But I believe in this team. Can they make a run? Yes, they can make a run. Can they? If they get into the playoffs, can they deliver? I sure hope so. But uh, you know, we are fans. I know this. Well, uh, you also have Teddy Bridgewater. Teddy Bridgewater gives my team trouble every time. He can wear a Panther uniform. He can wear a Bronco uniform. Teddy Bridgewater. 
respect for Teddy Bridgewater. And, uh, but uh, in, in this case, I can tell you this, we're fans. In fact, Bulls Pride Worldwide, the fourth thing you, I would ask you to know about Bulls Pride Worldwide is it's about the Chargers, it's about family, it's about respect, it's about having a great time. That means we have a great time with, with Bulls fans, with Bronco fans, with friends from across, across the NFL. In fact, I'm a member of Pro Football's Ultimate Fan Association, so we will uh, welcome uh, fans from other teams. But at the end of the day, this weekend, it, it's going to come down to this. It's going to come down to the team that makes the, the most plays and fewest mistakes. That's it. it, it it'll be, they'll either be a, wearing a, a lightning bolt on their helmet, or they'll wear a, wear a, a Bronco on their helmet. Uh, but we're still fans. I'm looking forward to it. I, I know that it, it, we don't have the time for, for everything my team needs to do to, to be successful against the Broncos this weekend. It takes a number of things, but, but I believe in my team. I, I believe uh, if, they didn't learn any, if they didn't learn their lesson in Houston, they will lose again. But I'm, I'm, uh, I'm optimistic that they will learn. I love that we have a, a, a great quarterback, great young quarterback. He's gonna get, he's gonna give us some fun times, and let's just hope that those fun times begin this weekend and continue through the rest of the season, and then we'll see what happens. So, until we talk again, and and until we talk again this weekend. Good luck to you. Good luck to your team. You know, I'm honored to be a part of Broncos Talk. This is Alvarez, Bull Pride. Worldwide, baby. Out. Woo! <laughs>Yo, there's only two things I liked from that video, and that's the fact that I saw the word Mexico on his coat and the fact that he said 619. So, you know, shout out to Ray Mysterio, 619, my favorite wrestling, one of my favorite Mexican wrestlers of all time, I should say. Uh, but other than that, uh, I mean, thank you so much for coming on the show, Alvarez, your energy and sounds like you'd sound like a, even though you're a rival you sound like a guy that I, i'd love to crack open a beer with and just argue football with all night um he was definitely <clears> a great guy um great guy uh loved the conversation uh he knows quite a number of the super fans within broncos uh, country as well um so uh and and definitely is well respected amongst the uh pro football uh, fans uh, group if uh, you guys have been watching Broncos talk for a while, uh, we had Frank West on uh, from the Jets for one of our first hot five segments. Uh, Frank uh, Al and Alvarez know each other. Uh, Alvarez knows my high profit and uh, that whole group captain defense. They all are a very kind of relatively close knit group and they kind of all know each other. So it is great to have someone like that to give us some insight into uh, the Chargers and what the basically what they need to do try to be beat us and then we can we can review that and see what we need to do to, to counter some of those points yeah uh you know this is uh probably the one time the broncos get to play spoiler i would say the only time i should say uh not only is this a revenge game for the chargers but the broncos are looking for a sweep so this would be a big more moral victory for the team going forward, Rich. And even if this doesn't get us a playoff spot, if we fall short after everything is said and done at the end of week 17, 
Uh, I just believe that going into week 18 against the Chiefs <clears throat> would be just a huge, huge morale boost for this team. And they just basically need to do what they did before. And uh, like I said earlier, Rich, the one thing that the Chargers have going against them is the fact that not only are they beaten battered more than they were our first time around, but they're uh, they're not playing with most of their starters. We didn't see Austin no. Eckler play against in Houston. We saw Justin Jackson, and uh, I don't I don't know if Chris Harris also played either. But I do believe that COVID. he yeah COVID. So there is a lot of COVID players on the Chargers. So. There could be a chance where Herbert is going to have to trust his safety behind, you know, second string offensive linemen, where the Chargers defense is going to have to go with practice squad guys or second string defensive players. Whatever weaknesses the Chargers are offering the Broncos when they touch down on Saturday, the Broncos have to take full advantage of it, Rich. Because if a team like Houston can do that, can take advantage of a really depleted Chargers team, there is no reason or way why a guy like Drew Locke cannot do what David Mills did to that Chargers team. And I know that's saying a lot, but can you imagine a guy like David Mills if he had wide receivers in Houston like he does in Denver? That score would have been probably been a lot more deeper uh, last week. So, unfortunately, I don't really like to play any team without their star players because I kind of find it you know you probably end up with what you saw against the cowboys and and the washington football team just a giant stomp and that's really not good football for anybody but unless you're a cowboys fan obviously but i do you know it's a next man up type of league uh rich and you have to do what you have to do to try to get a win and if that means going up against a team like the chargers who are not at a hundred percent then Hey, I, I I'm not I wouldn't feel bad if we just happened to knock the Chargers out of playoff contention. <laughs> right, I, I certainly wouldn't be you know upset if we were to do something right. like that. However, you also have to remember is that the Houston Texans had guys that they signed just a few days before the game <clears throat> who played and played well for them. So, mm-hmm. I mean, I, I I don't think it's fair for any team to sit there and say, oh, I don't have so and so, or oh, I don't have this person. Because most teams, given the current state of of affairs right now and given the way that the protocols are being run, are going to have at least a handful of guys that end up on on the COVID protocols, Uh, just the way that things are are, are working and and the way that they they are kind of shaken out. We had guys on the COVID list when we were playing the Raiders. Uh, So did the Chargers and so did the Texans. In fact, the Texans had a whack of guys that were on the COVID list. I think I heard something like 10 or 11. I mean, they had had a massive list that were on the COVID list uh, in terms of uh, players on that COVID list. Now, when when you look ahead to um, what we have, and and I think it needs to be mentioned because you made a comment about like, oh, if they have to play practice squad guys, then, you know, that's unfortunate. I know like playing teams that are like that. Um, well, we lost both our starting linebackers basically in, in like what the early third or so of the year. And we've been playing a, a, a recent signee in Kenny Young and a practice squad guy in Jonas Griffith ever since. So I don't think it's a fair comment. And, and by the way, I mean, Jonas Griffith made it to basically an honorable mention in the Mile High Mountain in terms of how well he was playing. So I, I don't think it's fair to, ba- to basically point the finger at some of your practice squad guys or some of your recent signings as reasons why you necessarily lost the game. 
I think it's up to you as a team to develop players, to, to coach up players, and more importantly, to bring in the right players uh, to back up your starters so that you can prepare for what the inevitable is going to be for at least the near term in the near future at the NFL, which is the fact that they're going to try and protect their players uh, and and certain players when they when they test positive uh, for COVID-19 are going to be placed on, on a special COVID list and there's testing protocols to try and keep everyone safe. Now, w- when you look at uh, this upcoming game, um, I think it's going to be a little bit more of the same. I think you're going to see a lot of the same stuff that you saw when we played the Chargers the last go round, except to your point, I think you're going up with a slightly more banged up team, which means that you can potentially see better results from it. And that's saying something because we had some pretty good results against the Chargers the first time we played them. I think that you're going to see Javante Williams have himself quite a game. Uh, I think that we're going to have some better luck in the in the running game, uh, certainly more so than we did against the Raiders. That was that was we'll just say not good. And that's being generous. And then I, I hope you're also going to see Melvin Gordon have a bit of a bounce get back game too, because he did not have a very good game against the Raiders either. And then I think you're going to start seeing guys like Jerry Judy and Noah Fant and Albert O. Hopefully, if Pat Shermer can remember how to scheme a game properly, um, have those crossing routes that he's been now adding into the playbook in the recent weeks. But I think they're going to be working a lot better against the Chargers. I went back and watched... Uh, the Houston game this past week and the Chargers linebackers once you kind of got just on the other side of the defensive line between the linebackers and the D-line the crossing routes were working really well against them so I think that's a a spot where we can really exploit and and guys mismatch guys like your Noah Fance your Albert O and even Saubert uh, has shown that he's really good at making those kind of short crossings uh, and uh, get the yards out for catch Uh, I think we can have some pretty good success there Agreed. And, you know, that just reminded me of, I, I actually, I, I never actually thought about this, but when Senor Alvarez called him, called Justin Herbert Herbie, I thought that was hilarious because when I think of Herbie, I think of the, the freaking car, not of Justin Herbert. So uh, I, I thought it was great. Uh, but just kind of, you're totally right, Rich. The way to beat the Chargers is doing the exact same thing we did before which is limit the throws Justin Herbert can make. Now, it's looking more likely that he's not going to have Keenan Allen and Mike Williams again going forward, which is his his number two, his, his top two targets. But he might have uh, Guyton, who hasn't had a stellar year like he did last year, but he has been a flash in the pan. So just basically the front defensive line just has to make it real uncomfortable for Justin Herbert in the pocket. Justin Herbert, even though he can run, he's really not a a mobile quarterback. He's not great throwing the ball uh, while he's moving. That's how most of his uh, picks, matter of fact, have have been made is when he tries to throw off the back of his foot. He's not that type of quarterback. So if you make him uncomfortable, then, you know, scrimmaging and forcing him to throw the ball is great, increases the chance of of a turnover. Uh, now he is a pretty mobile guy, so you don't want him running for yards either because he can he can get downfield if he needs to in a pinch before he slides down. And just uh, basically, Justin Jackson, he put up a really good, really good numbers in fantasy. If you had him, I think he had twenty five or twenty six, I believe. No, he had thirty two. So can 32. I tell you a story about that? Yeah, go ahead. So I had him in my fantasy. I had him. He was on my bench. And 
I had attempted to make a swap to bring him as my flex because I had a feeling that he was going to have a pretty good game with Eckler being out. And the Chargers have generally run the ball, and I knew the Houston, the, the Texans were susceptible to the run. So I had a funny feeling that he was going to be kind of like, a, you know, that breakout guy, you know, that one that like, there's one every week, right? And then fantasy, we're like, oh my God, did you see that random guy? And then everyone runs and grabs him and he has a, like a horrible game like the next like four. And then they say, yeah. drop him, drop him, drop him. That, that was me with Hunter Henry. Right. So, <laughs> um, <laughs> so unfortunately, I wasn't able to make the trade in time and the Bucks played and my flex guy played that that game and I was not willing to start him as one of my starting running backs which also turned out to be a mistake on my part because I thought I thought he was going to beat my flex guy but I didn't think he was going to beat my top two guys which are actually pretty good running backs and he ended up beating them all so uh, dang it all <laughs> yeah I'm, I'm and, there with and, you oh, man. And, and what's worse is I lost because of that decision yeah, I, I lost too, and I'm out. Uh, this is probably the farthest I've made it in fantasy in like four or five years in terms of playoff contention. So, uh, But, you know, shout out to my friend Amanda. Uh, good luck to her in the fantasy playoffs in our other fantasy league. Uh, but, uh, but you know, just going forward, Rich, it's a just basically... uniform. A Broncos uniform. It, it's just basically just basically kind of repeating what we did the first time and the Broncos could pull the win. And this win would mean a lot because it would be a road win, Rich, which is something that the Broncos have not been able to do. I don't think they've had a really big road win since their win in Dallas, if I'm not mistaken, uh, which was kind of like a, a, a huge surprise. Nobody expected the Broncos to go in there and handle the Cowboys the way they did. And I should know because I was there. So it was great to see in person. It was an even better feeling uh, as, as a road game. But the, just the fact that the Broncos can play spoiler, and even if it means they keep their playoff hopes alive just for a little bit longer up until the end, I mean, it would feel great. But, you know, it's any given Sunday, Rich. We don't know what's going to happen come Sunday. We don't know who's going to catch what, who's going to be inactive, who's going to be a surprise scratch, uh, what boneheaded plays uh, Vic, Vic Fangio is going to decide to challenge and not win, what offensive runs... Uh, Pat Shermer's not going to run and you know what Tom Foolery, Tom McMahon is going to pull out of whatever cap he wears on his head in terms of watching special teams for another week but even with all that discretion Rich <clears throat> this should be a game for the Broncos to win because the Broncos are healthier they're coming off another loss and usually teams that come off a loss especially a team like the Broncos are usually a lot more hungrier for a win don't get me wrong. The Chargers, I'm pretty sure they're not only feeling embarrassed to lose it to a team like Houston and they want to win, but they're just not at a point or at a capacity to kind of be willing to go out there and win. And as good as Justin Herbert might be, unfortunately, he cannot play defense on his own. He cannot play special teams on his own. He can't be the running back on his own. There's only so much he can do. And the last time he tried to do too much, the Broncos were able to punish him for it. So that's what I'm kind of hoping the Broncos do in terms of uh, shutting down Justin Herbert, just make him uncomfortable in the pocket, force him to make throws that he's not comfortable with. And hell, we could see uh, Patrick Chatan have another big game against them the second time around. Yeah, I agree. I think it's possible that we could do something like that. I also think it's important to note is that a good portion of our defensive starters are at least healthy or healthier 
Um, I think it's probably better to say at this stage of the season. And and so m- most of them are going to be able to play for us, uh, you know, barring any more kind of, you know, late entries or late late positives in terms of, uh, you know, the, the testing and whatnot. So I, I think that says a lot, too, is that we have a little bit more of our, our, our expected starters. I think it's probably a, a good way of putting it, too. Uh, I mean, our linebacking core is, is basically completely different than the starting of the season. Um, I actually happen to think our new linebackers, the ones we have in now, have actually progressed a little bit better and, and shown out a little bit more. Uh, mm-hmm. And I think now that we have uh, Chubb back on the outside, uh, that's really improved the the outside rush and allowed for, allowed for the rotational guys, uh, who I think we should be seeing uh, Weatherly and Chubb a lot more. And I think we should be seeing Cooper and Chubb a lot more. And... Um, I think Mintz is still on the COVID list, but again, if, if Mintz is back, I'd like to see Mintz get rotated in there as well to really start showcasing that future depth uh, and, and giving them some playing time. But uh, ladies and gentlemen, we are absolutely coming up to the very end of the show today. Uh, if there, I think we got all of your questions. We, we answered to them to the best of our ability, and we try to give you some interesting insight into the Chargers game, what to expect, uh, what I'd like to see, and what you'd like to see. Before we go, did you want to maybe speculate as to a score? Uh, I'm I'm gonna say the Broncos win it, and I'm gonna say thirty. I like to stay within the thirty range. I'm gonna say thirty to twenty-one, Denver. I think the I think the Chargers get some garbage time touchdowns. So I'm gonna say that the Broncos can continue their streak by keeping the team under twenty. I, I thought that the Raiders might be able to crack that code, but I think that the Raiders are a better team than the Chargers. And I and I do think that Derek Carr is is certainly a better quarterback overall in the league right now as it stands. I just think he's got a little bit more um, veteran prowess in mm-hmm. the league, and I think that that can that can really kind of give uh, certain younger defensive players uh, some fits. So I, I see us holding them to somewhere in the seventeen range, and and I think that this could be one of those thirty-one seventeen type games that you see a fair amount of uh, that seem to be a common kind of score combination in the NFL. So my guess is going to be 31 to 17 in this game. Right. For the Broncos, obviously. Of course. Guys, unfortunately, we are out of time. But thank you guys so much for joining Rich and I here tonight on Broncos Talk. And, you know, unfortunately, as we're getting close to the end of the season, I know it didn't pan out to the way we all wanted to. But keep your heads up high. Keep your flags waving. And just let's keep the support going for our boys as we get to the end of the season, as I said. And of course, if you guys enjoyed what you guys saw here tonight on Broncos Talk, please make sure to hit that subscribe button so you get live notifications when we go live. Hit that thumbs up button wherever you're watching us on social media so that you also are up to par whenever we release any new content. And of course, if you like what you see here on the MHRT Network, please make sure to watch our other shows. On Thursdays, we have the MHRT Network uh, podcast, which is the flagship show, which it has myself, the boss Mondungus, Mr. Glenn Hauser, who you saw in the chat here earlier, uh, Mr. Brian, Mr. Boggins, and myself. So we go live every single Thursday at 7654. On Fridays, we have the Nothing Rhymes With podcast with our good friends, Johnny and Isaiah, who you also saw in the chat here earlier tonight. Their show is on Friday at 7654. And of course, we have the pregame show, The Neighborhood, which airs just before every pregame uh, Broncos game. And we're down to the very last two, and hopefully we get one or two more in the playoffs, maybe even more, depending on how far our boys can take us. But you don't want to miss out, and you don't want to have to wait until we get more shows for the next season. And Rich, before we go and do our very special, special outro, 
it's the very last show of 2021 rich and you know what let me just say that it's been a pleasure having to sit here next to you every single weekend and you know talk broncos with you and it doesn't matter how far you are it's you know it's been great i love sitting here talking in denver with you you know meeting you and your family before and after the show and here's to i ran out of drink but you know here's to you know another good year with you my brother you know may 2022 be a prosperous year for you and me oh i should drink that (laughs) so and as well for you guys Happy New Year to everybody here in the chat. Happy New Year to everybody listening to us to a, after the fact on audio. Please make sure you give us a thumbs up on Apple, Amazon, uh, Anchor, wherever it is you guys are listening to us to send us messages. Hit us up on Twitter. My Twitter is at A6Foot10Mexican. My co-host at Richie Richie, R-I-C-H-I-R-I-C-H-E-H. Please make sure to just hit that thumbs up and subscribe button. And yes, we are the odd couple if there ever it was one. So, Rich, are you ready, my friend? I'm ready to go. Here we go. The very last one of 2021. Well, actually, no, because we still have Thursday. So for Broncos talk anyway. My high five. (laughs) Woo! Guys, thank you guys so much. Happy New Year to everybody. We will see you all next year, 2022. For Rich, I'm Adon. Good night. And as always, go go Broncos. Broncos.